You're listening to Jeopardites, the JLF podcast. I'm your host, Lakshtata. In this very special episode of Jeopardites, my guest is Sohela Abdulali, author of What We Talk About When We Talk About Rape. Sohela was born in Mumbai and lives in New York City. She's a freelance writer and editor who has published novels, children's books, short stories, and non-fiction pieces for publications like the New York Times and The Guardian. In the year 1983, while she was doing some research for her college thesis on rape, Sohela wrote an article for Indian magazine telling the story of her rape when she was a teenager and what happened afterwards. She wrote the article under her own name, becoming the first Indian survivor to speak out. In 2012, after the infamous Nirbhaya case in India where Jyoti Singh was gang-raped and murdered, Sohela's article from 30 years ago went viral on the internet. She was still the only Indian survivor to speak out about what had happened to her. So she wrote another piece, this time for the New York Times, which too went viral. In her book, Sohela talks about all that, and all the things that do and don't get spoken about when it comes to rape, along with the accounts of hundreds of other survivors. I got on a Skype call with Sohela to talk about what it was like to write the book, and how it has impacted her life and the lives of those who have read it. I personally read the book this past week, and I must say it is unputdownable. So Hela will be speaking at Jail of Houston this weekend on September 14th, as well as Jail of Colorado next weekend on September 22nd. Here is my conversation with Sohela. First thing, actually, so I started reading your book. I got it yesterday, and one of the things that it it's the first thing you see on the back on the dust jacket, and it's also on the first page is a quote by Gloria Steinem, uh, which I mean I'll just read it out loud for the audience. Uh, it's read the personal stories in what we talk about when we talk about rape, and see how far we have come and have yet to go. So my mm-hmm. my question is. If you were, if you could imagine the the twenty year old feminist uh, that you were in college, I mean, I'm sure I'm mm-hmm. saying back then, that girl, right? If she right. found out that one day, not only will she write a book about this stuff, but one day Gloria Steinem is going to give a quote for her book, how would uh-huh. that girl react? I think that girl would have been totally flabbergasted and excited yeah. because. Actually, when I was 20 and I went back to India to try to research the subject, mm-hmm. I was met with radio silence. Right. And so both there and here, it was just mm. not a topic anyone ever discussed. Mm-hmm. So even the fact that anyone would publish a book on it would be amazing. And my whole dream was to be a writer. So, yeah, I'd have been really stunned and gratified, right. I must say. Um, and I think at that point, as a 20-year-old, it would have been even more personal because it was so close to my own rape. So I'd have felt really kind of vindicated, like, right. oh, I've shown them. Mm-hmm. But now th- that's not as important. You know, right. it, it just seems so long ago and it's not like the people who raped me are ever going to know or care. And that that's not as important. Now, right, right. 
sort of what it does for the world is more important. Mm. And about Gloria Steinem, yeah, I'd have been thrilled. She was a <laughs> total icon, but I'm particularly thrilled because I didn't ask or expect a quote from her because really? we, I, because you know, if most of the other people were either my idea or I asked them, mm -hmm. but I didn't. I it wouldn't occur to me to get one from her because I, because we have some fundamental disagreements, mm -hmm. and so I just it wouldn't you know like I think she's she is an amazing feminist icon and she's done fantastic things for women, mm -hmm. but I really do disagree on her views about India, right. and and about sex work. Mm -hmm. And my book does deal with that issue. Like right. I'm, I very much believe that you have to separate sex work and trafficking. Right. Um, there is legitimate sex work and there is trafficking and you have to separate the two because ev all sex work is not exploitative. In my opinion, mm -hmm. she mm -hmm. doesn't agree. So that's fine. You know, you can disagree, but I was very honored that she chose right. to, that she chose to endorse my book, even though I clearly state my views in it, and they are not the same as hers. Yeah. So, so you know that that's very, that's civil because I I can only assume either that she didn't read it or that she read it and and thought that there was enough there that she wanted to endorse. So, you know, in this in this age of terrible polarization, I say that's great. Right. Would you say that um, particularly? You know, actually. Your the reaction you've received about the book since it came out has it um, compared to where you live, you know, in the U.S. and then India, where this book has, you know, you were here at JLF talking about it. That was a completely right. different episode that I do want to discuss what it was like to be there talking about this. But have you seen a difference right. in people's um, what people are taking away from the book based on where they're from, like America versus India, or you know, anywhere else that you've you've talked to different people. Well, yes and no. Um, and it's very interesting because in no place has it been what I expected. So that's made me realize that I also make too many assumptions. Right. Uh, you know, some things are the same. It's like in every, now I've been to, the last year I've been to India, places in America, Australia, I've been to the Netherlands, I've been to England, I've been all over with this book. And the one thing that's common is that wherever I go, it's been... Mm -hmm stunning to see all the people who come up with stories right. who come up and stand up in audiences and say this happened to me or they come to me later and and the kind of pain and reaction is really universal no matter what the culture there's so mm -hmm. much there's just so much trauma and so much disbelief and so much you know terrible reactions from people so that part has been the same and the other thing that's been the same that's been really gratifying to me is that people have 99% been so supportive and so embracing of it and and kind of hungry to talk about the subject right so that's but then in terms of sort of the global reaction to me and the book at an event <laughs> things have been yeah. different like i i think my biggest my biggest fear about the whole thing was in fact going to jlf because for one thing, I'd never been to a literature festival. I had no idea what to expect. And also it was India. And mm. I, I care more about India than any other place. Mm. So, you know, if I'm, people are going to throw eggs at me, I'd hate them to be Indian eggs. Right. Because, <laughs> because, I, because I care over there. Yeah. You know, I wrote yeah. whatever I wanted to, but I obviously care what people think. And then, you know, my last memory of dealing with rape in India was 
all those decades ago where nobody believed me, people were hostile. When my Manushi piece came out, you know, I got yeah. nasty letter from my uncle saying, how dare you ruin the family name? So, and I definitely have my biases about Indian men. Right. So I was scared and I knew it was an open festival where it's not like a curated thing where people buy tickets. Yeah, Anyone yeah, could yeah. show up. So Anyone I was definitely stand up nervous. during a Q&A and, and say things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but out of everything that's happened, that was the best experience. Yeah. It was just I, I have never seen, you know, especially from men, the reaction from young men, you know, college age men right. showing up, standing in line. I would walk around you know, Diggy Palace, and I'd see guys holding my book. And if they saw me, they'd come up to me and ask me to sign and say, you know, we really want to talk about this. We really want to know how to be good people. I mean, it was mm -hmm. unbelievable. I felt so good. People standing up in the audience, there was one young guy, you know, um, I think it was in the Namita session where he stood up. He said, nobody even says this word rape. We don't know yeah. how to deal with it. Our parents are all this stuff. And I said, here you are saying it. You know, it's right. great. So, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was, I, I was really amazed. And you know, everything else was almost a letdown after that because <laughs> it was really, it, it was, I felt really good. And then in Australia, where I thought everything would be, everybody would be so open and free. Right. At, at the first festival I went to, people were actually hiding the book and kind of sidling up to me and get, getting me to sign it because they didn't want to be seen with this book. Yeah, it is. The environment there is quite, um, I, I would say so many times you don't, I, I remember so many authors would be, they would be even in the smaller tents. They wouldn't be in the bigger, the main tent. Right. But there right. would be a book signing. And even before the author has started talking, there's 50 people waiting to get the book signed. And you it's don't, ex fantastic. you don't think, you yeah. don't, I mean, I live in Delhi. I've never been to a book signing. <laughs> JLF was my first this was actually my first JLF as well and I was actually in your I was sitting in your session for the first half because we were oh, recording wow. we were recording yeah. that episode right and right. so I just wanted to make sure I was I was in the the tech tent and right. uh, just making sure everything's working fine and then you just see that no session during those five days was empty everyone it was, was interested amazing. in everything yeah. you know so I think that yeah. that is that says good things about what I guess who people are right now, despite whatever, you know, political beliefs people have, they're able to come Absolutely. to this place and, and, you know, meet each other and talk to each other and, and end up having debates and discuss things. It was great. And, you know, the first day I walked in, like I, you know, I, I landed in Delhi and then I did a, an event in Delhi, like some literary salon at, at Yoda Press. And, mm -hmm. and that was great. And then I came to Jaipur and then I got into my hotel and on the next morning, came to the festival for the first time with another author whom right. I met at the hotel, Zulfikar. We walked in and we were immediately surrounded by these school children. Like, uh -huh. you know, they were 11, 12, 13 yeah. years old. And they all said, please, please write something inspiring in our diaries. They had no idea who we were. <laughs> they had no idea what we'd written, but they knew yeah. we were authors. It was yeah. so moving. And the teacher came up to me and she said, you know, I, I come from some village far away. I brought mm -hmm. them here so they can understand the importance of reading and writing. Mm -hmm. And I thought that is just so fantastic. The New York Times article, the the initial thing you wrote about, I think, six years ago, where you right. you had this, this line that we will be, I'm just going to read it here, we will be able to give women who have been assaulted what they truly need, not a load of rubbish about how they should feel guilty or ashamed, 
but empathy for going through a terrible trauma. So um, people in India, you know, people are really talking about this idea that, oh, sex ed and consent need to be taught at a school right. level. But what I'm curious about, about this, this, the word empathy over there, how do you think mm-hmm. empathy can be taught in to, to young boys and girls who, I mean, who does that responsibility, you know, in your opinion and your experience lie with? Is it the teachers? Is it the parents? Is it the government? Because right now it feels like everyone's playing musical chairs that whoever doesn't want the responsibility just says it's someone else's responsibility, you know? Yeah, well, that's a really interesting question. But I think the answer is really, it's all our job. It's the job of everyone in the world to both both behave, you know, to behave with empathy and, and to model it for not just for kids, but in as a way of like, I, I don't have a religion, but if if I had a religion, it would sort of, I, I would say it should be kindness and understanding right. and not that I'm some saint and practice it all the time. You know, mm-hmm. many people I would like to kick in the shins, <laughs> but the thing is that, but, but so why, why do we have to say it's your responsibility to teach the children right. empathy? That is how we should all be behaving. Mm. And like in terms of my kid, okay, I have, I have a kid and we can lecture her all we want and we do occasionally, but we know she's not listening to a word we say. It's more like she's watching how we behave. Right. And if you know, if you behave in a way where you always try to see the other point of view, you always try to understand what the other person is going to, you don't mm-hmm. automatically assume fault. And then of course it's tricky because am I saying you feel empathy for the rapist? Not really. Right. I'm saying you feel empathy for somebody who to whom something has happened and mm-hmm. maybe you might want to try to understand the rapist motivation so i'm not preaching some love everybody equally type of thing right. just saying that that if someone is hurt the first thing you do is maybe not blame them but try to listen to them and understand mm-hmm. what they're going to and then you know about rape it's just so crazy like it's not like i i feel sometimes that i it looks like I'm preaching some higher standard than we usually have. But frankly, say someone, say you're a friend of yours, guy or girl, mm-hmm. came to you and said, I was raped. All I'm saying is treat them with the same level of belief as you would if they said they were mugged. Yeah. I mean, if someone says someone's from a wallet, do you immediately say, why did you have your wallet? Right. Why did you have my, you don't do that. Yeah. So it's not like some extra level of understanding. It's just that we have... Mm-hmm. We really fall down on the job when it comes to sexual abuse. We immediately turn it around. Yeah, and you know that that idea, and you've you've talked about it in um, in the book and in the session as well. That we 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 just have this phrase called rape culture, especially yeah. in India. We we just have this term, and I mean, the the existence of the term already tells you that it is such an it it has just become something. The fact that we call yeah. something rape culture, so. How do you think, um, having lived, you know, uh, a part of your life in India and then you've been living in, in New York for a while, how has the, from what you've seen with not just with the Me Too movement, but then also the way rape is reported in the news, what do you think is, right. what are they getting right? Because we know they're getting a lot of things wrong, but what are they getting right. right? And then obviously, what are they getting wrong as well, in your opinion? 
Well, for one thing, I wouldn't say there's more of a rape culture in India, okay, than there is here. Mm-hmm. Because it's pretty insidious, but it's very much here. Okay, maybe here people aren't getting, you know, aren't committing suicide at the same rate right, or being right. shunned at the same rate. But it's definitely there. I mean, I just, I just, my daughter has now been in college for a week. And believe me, I'm trying very hard not to think about rape culture here because it's really scary to think of her in this environment, which I've been talking about for the last year as totally right, toxic. Right, right. Ah, um, so I, I think the only thing that both countries are getting right right now is that in both countries, there's a conversation going on, which there never has before. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the things that are being said uh, uh, don't make any sense and, <laughs> and right. are silly, but at least we're talking about it. So that I think is happening. Mm-hmm. But otherwise... You know, I wish I knew. I wish I knew if there was, if even one rape has been prevented anywhere because of all this. I have no idea. That's something I think you you addressed in in the beginning as well, that the idea you said that uh, in India, because of how you were treated by the police uh, after your rape, they were... Right. There's this, there's this thing that, oh, unless you're, unless you're like almost fatally, you know, almost murdered it's not even right. worth reporting because right. it's not going to, because, you know, unless you're a Nirbhaya or you're a Jyoti Singh, you're not going to really get talked about unless you are the, and that's what, I guess that's the one thing that I mean, you know, the news does and even, you know, documentaries and, and these movies get right. They definitely make you listen to the stories. Yeah. But they, I guess the part where I'm, I can understand there has to be more is that they should still tell you that, the story doesn't end when you leave the movie theater. It doesn't end when That's you start, right. when you turn the when you turn the news off. You know, right? And no, and the thing is, again, that's a case of you know. I feel sometimes like, why am I stating these obvious things? There's no story ends after the right. after the crime. You know, mm-hmm. over. So why does why is this one supposed to end? You know, and in India, really, the only time you're really allowed any public sympathy is not just if you're seriously injured, but if you're dead. Right, right. Like, you know, if Nirbhaya had lived, mm-hmm. I still don't think it would. It still would be if, you know, the first picture that appeared of her smiling and having a life, that would be it. There'd be yeah. a whole lot of people saying, well, clearly it wasn't so bad. She's happy yeah, let's now. let's move on you know? to, you know, something yeah. more, more dangerous, something we can scare yeah, people with. Exactly. And the thing yeah. is, it's a really dub, it's a double whammy for someone like me who has lived through it and has written about, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't even think about it all the time. It's like I have a whole other life. Yeah. But that, but does that mean that it didn't matter, that it wasn't bad? Yeah. You know, why should it be one or the other? Why can't it be a serious, terrible thing and have a good life right. now? You know, it's like if you're in a war. Yeah. yeah. You, you talked about this as well, that you don't, I mean, you've written this, you, you know, first you wrote the article all those years ago. Then you did the New York Times one and you talk about how it felt like you you at first weren't sure if you should write something and then you so many people were calling you and all that. And then you write this book, but then you're also saying that this isn't the only thing that I want to write. This isn't, you know, you want to talk, you don't write about gardening, you don't write fiction, you want to write all these things. How has Well, that, I did. Yeah, and, yeah. and you have. <laughs> you, you have. You were already a novelist. How has... Yeah. Since the book has come out, because you are, you know, you're you're traveling the world with it. Right. What right. has that been like for you? Because it's a very in like for the last, you know, for for the last year or so, you've 
pretty much been this is the topic people always keep asking right about. right so right, how have right. you been dealing with i guess you know taking that work off when you get home where, yeah. because where you're not answering all these questions every day right right well you know it's been very interesting because actually it's been much more um fascinating and broad than i thought it would be like mm. for one thing let me tell you as a writer it's a huge kick i mean come on it's like the dream you get right. invited to all these festivals you get flown all over people so as a you know it i'm hardly going to complain <laughs> right, when right. i'm kind of living the dream and people have bought my book and i you know sydney opera house 2000 people came to listen mm-hmm. i mean I'd be some kind of total idiot if I moaned and groaned about this. Yeah. No, oh, I have so to that, go to been, that thing. <laughs> Arey, it was thrilling, and all. So, so that was really good. But in a way, my, one of my fears of this book was that it would then, you know, then it's like all I do is talk about rape. But the yeah. funny thing is that before I wrote the book, any time, you know, I've written in the book about how any time I went to any agent or anyone with a proposal, they'd only come back and see the rape book but now they can't right. do that anymore uh. <laughs> because i've done it so i'm allowed now to move along and the right. other thing is that the discussion all over the world has actually not been just about rape it's been so interesting like when i went to the netherlands mm-hmm. uh it was in july and and it was really nice there because the book had just come out in dutch and wherever i went it was in all the bookstores and i right. did all these events in different parts of the netherlands and in the end we didn't really talk about rape that much it was like there was one of the events was a panel session and there was a woman there ellen lan who's a what's the word she was a sexologist okay ah. she carries a giant plastic clitoris with her wherever she goes and and then there was another one anias who is an expert on sexuality and disability and mm-hmm. there was me and the topic of the event was who owns a woman's body so right. we had the most fascinating discussion the three of us with a moderator and it it sort of i realized that talking about rape you get to talk about all this other stuff like sex and pleasure and you know the way boys relate to girls so it mm-hmm. actually never got old and it got much bigger than i thought it would right so so it's been great and now i also feel in my head like maybe there was a part of me that kind of knew and was going to have to write some rape book at some point right <laughs> um but 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 i loved writing it you know it was really fascinating writing it and it wasn't a memoir because yeah. if you actually count the pages i've written about myself there's about four Mm-hmm. so but i got but it became really personal i got to i got to rave and rant and yeah. i got to talk to all these <laughs> so i love doing it and actually the way so i don't i don't feel tired of it and and you know if if the events are still going on and i'm tired nobody's forcing me to go i can just say no yeah. you know yeah. no it's not like they're making you it's not like selling all these books is going to make me rave right rich, you know it you know you don't get rich from books unless you're john grisham so really <laughs> the only reason to do it is because it's it's gratifying yeah. so so i'm doing it and then the the other thing is that writing this book has opened up a lot of doors you know like i now feel like i can apply for fellowships because i have a book a serious non fiction book not just right. a novel so yeah. i've already got ideas about the next book which isn't about rape mm-hmm. um and hopefully i i can get that going so 
it's really it's it's been really positive and i haven't felt like oh my god reap again right you know it's it's sort of expanded a lot to other things there was a a movie that i saw just a couple months ago uh it was called boy erased and it was hmm. uh, it was it was based on this guy's memoir i don't know if you've uh, heard hmm. of it but it was about this no. guy who when he was a teenager was sent to um uh the a church where they they turn gay boys to straight boys like that you know oh, one of it those, used to be a thing uh, conversion yeah. therapy conversion yeah, therapy yeah. churches and yeah, yeah. one aspect Ooh. of his story i mean not just the the movie is very very well done and everything but there was a something i mean i had never heard of this person I, that's the one thing i like about movies you know you don't even know it's non-fiction or it's based on a real thing until the movie tells you that this happened right. to someone and then you get to right. learn another person's story so right this boy uh he didn't know that he was gay and he was still figuring that out when he went to college and this guy right. he became friends with uh his this guy started becoming attracted to him the main guy and mm-hmm. one night they were together and up until that moment it looked like it was a love story mm-hmm. and then immediately mm-hmm. the other guy went on uh without his consent raping him so oh, this this yeah. boy's first sexual experience not just his first uh-huh. i mean his first you know gay sexual ex- experience something he's been thinking about but hasn't done anything about ended up being something something that was so violent and that's yeah. something the movie deals with as well you know it, it it tells that story but i'm wondering you know uh when you were researching for this book and people were coming up and talking to you did you find people from the lgbtq community talking about how cuz we know statistics statistically i believe you you mentioned some of them in the book as well you know the statistics for them to be assaulted and abused yes. is is yes. way higher than for the straight people so yeah, have, yeah. do you i mean what was what were some of the stories that uh that that you can remember that people talked about how cuz it must be way harder but it can you can't even quantify these these things as of course they're both hard but these this journey sounds even more yeah. confusing because it's it's something he was a he was attracted to this guy and then the next minute something violent happens you know yeah it's terrible it's terrible and yes i did and you know i sort of have some sympathy because i i define myself as bisexual too mm-hmm. though i i didn't at, at the time that i was raped for me also it was my first anything to do with anything like that experience it was right. very shocking mm-hmm. but i i did talk to men and women and trans people who had uh, who ha- who were raped in that context but the thing right. that actually struck me the most was a little different it was people who were you know boys and girls who were sexually abused as children mm-hmm. then grew up being gay or bisexual and were continue to remain confused about whether the abuse had something to do with their right, sexuality right right because it was the beginning and yeah. they don't know how to separate the two yeah and that is so sad like there was mm-hmm. this actually um so i'm from bombay and i'm part of this group called point of view mm-hmm. um and they uh, it's a thing about women and media and one of the things we've done is this online publication called skin stories and there was a there was a really moving piece in it by a lesbian who talked about being abused by her father 
and then she grew up and she always felt ashamed and embarrassed about her her queerness not only because of society but because she wondered if it's like you know it was as a result of the abuse and not as right. a result of her natural and i just i found that so tragic because here's this beautiful thing and it's polluted out of all the out of all the things somehow that i found that the most painful right. to to encounter this feeling of like there's a great thing and you doubt it you know the equivalent is straight people who can't enjoy straight sex because they've been because they've been raped but right. there's something extra awful about about this yeah because then there's it's a, it's an issue yeah. about identity just down to your core yeah. yeah yeah and everybody's anyway telling you you're screwed up and and mm-hmm. there's something that you're wrong lesser with than you. anyway. so then you have another reason yeah. Yeah. yeah the other thing that that i found uh, really moving is the level of support in different disenfranchised communities like when i was in sangli i talked to a group of trans men um all of whom had been raped and in you know multiple times and for them they were very clear that the reason they were alive was because of the support they got from each other that they would call each other help each other hold each other up because that's all they had so yeah uh you talk about in the introduction that uh rape drains the light out of the room and mm-hmm. you want to let some light back in that's that's your purpose with writing this book so in the you know the the months that have passed since this book has been published how would you how would you say that you've done so far on this quest to let some light back in i i feel good about it because i feel like it's obviously it's a self selected group i mean maybe there are millions of people out there who read my book and got terminal depressed and and they haven't told me so that i'm sorry about but i i feel like in all these countries i've been to i've had these encounters with people who it meant a lot to them and that's amazing men women and i've gotten emails so maybe there's been maybe it's hurt some people but i've not heard that i've only heard that it's that people have related to it and learned from it so i feel really good about it and and i also feel good about it sort of personally with my family it's been really good for all of us this book i'm really happy i wrote it thank you for listening to jepper bites This podcast is produced by Launchora, a storytelling and creative learning platform in association with Teamwork Arts, the producers of the Jaipur Literature Festival. If you haven't already, do subscribe to our show wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you.